Kalakatawantokirekamlo Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific, Minemblomi Koroi Hawkins. Coming up. hasn't done much to tackle uh, the problem of malapportionment in Papua New Guinea. We take a closer look at the upcoming PNG elections, which will feature new districts and counting procedures. Many of our poorer Buspeaker communities, there's high prevalence of diabetes, gout, cardiovascular disease, rheumatic fever. New Pacific Health National Director role is being created for Health New Zealand. It's okay, so-and-so who lost, you know, can just uh, put in his wife as a candidate or put in his close mate. And while Tonga's Pato Party are winning election petitions, we hear that it does not necessarily mean they will waltz through ensuing by-elections. The Electoral Commission in Papua New Guinea is expected to issue the writs for this year's general election on Thursday, a week later than originally scheduled. Elections in this huge Pacific Island country are an enormous logistical exercise, with a population of just under 9 million people spread across almost half a million square kilometres of the most remote and rugged terrain on the planet. On top of this, the government just last month created seven new districts. This and changes to the way votes are to be counted have election observers concerned. Joining me is Terence Wood, Research Fellow at the ANU's Development Policy Centre and an expert on Melanesian politics. Welcome back, Marlo Pacific Waves, Terence. Let's start with the last election in 2017. How well did that go? Some observers call the last elections in Papua New Guinea, which happened in 2017, the worst elections in Papua New Guinea's history. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure if that comment is fair, but there were certainly a lot of problems that plagued the elections in parts of Papua New Guinea. There was uh, a lot of violence, particularly in the Highlands region. Several hundred people were killed. There was vote buying, uh, vote buying more or less everywhere around the country. And also, particularly in the Highland region, uh, there were there were quite a few cases of fraud at polling stations and other sort of forms of uh, cheating that involved interfering with the electoral process itself. To be fair, I should also emphasize that in many parts of the country, the 2017 elections were actually run quite well. Uh, and that was an achievement on Papua New Guinea's behalf, given the challenges that it faced, uh, the challenges of geography and the like. So the news from 2017 wasn't all bad, but there were some quite significant problems. And those problems give us cause for concern as we look forward to the elections that are going to happen this year. Yeah, and it's it's easy uh, talking about the Pacific. We're so often talking about these small countries, but Papua New Guinea is a massive place, isn't it? It's, it is a major undertaking for a Pacific um, nation, the, the PNG elections. Yes, most definitely. I mean, just in terms of geography, running elections in Papua New Guinea would be much harder than running elections in, say, New Zealand. You've got more people, you've got tiny remote uh, outlying atolls where people have to vote, and you've also got uh, you know, small hamlets on top of mountains where people have to vote too, and you have uh, very poor infrastructure uh, as well. So just getting ballot papers to everyone um, and getting those ballot papers counted and the like is a real challenge through no fault of the people of Papua New Guinea, right? That's just the geography they inherited. And coming coming to this year's elections, obviously 2017's <laughs> a whole another lifetime ago, it seems, with the pandemic. Lots of lots of new issues on top of the existing issues that are already part of the PNG political landscape. Talk us through some of the, the big election issues this year. 
So uh, one issue that worries me in particular is that a decision has been made ostensibly for the sake of reducing COVID spread to uh, count first preference votes at polling stations rather than in regional counting centres. Second and third preference ballots are still going to be counted at regional counting centres. However, there's a, a real potential problem here because counting first preference ballots at polling stations uh, provides ample opportunity for strong candidates to cheat and to tamper with the counting process. Once upon a time, everything was counted at regional or uh, district centres, uh, and that worked quite well because it meant that all candidates could have their scrutineers present and uh, those scrutineers could ensure that cheating didn't occur in the counting process. But a shift now to counting uh, at a village level, well, that's really kind of problematic because some villages, particularly uh, in parts of the highlands, will be entirely dominated by single candidates. And you'd imagine that in those villages, the potential for cheating during counting is going to go through the roof. And I thought I might just pull us back a bit and and give us for listeners who aren't familiar with Papua New Guinea, do you mind giving us a quick 101 on the PNG electoral system and uh, maybe comparison with uh, Australia or New Zealand? Yeah, sure. So the electoral system in Papua New Guinea is uh, an electorate-based system, so it's very different from proportional representation as used in New Zealand. Uh, It's a system that's much closer to the system used in Australia. Unlike in Australia, where, where um, there are a lot of preferences and voters get to choose between voting above and below the line, in Papua New Guinea, uh, voters have just three preferences. And so when they go to vote, what they do is they mark their most preferred candidate on the ballot paper, they mark their second most preferred candidate on the ballot paper, and they mark their third most preferred candidate on the ballot paper. Then during counting, uh, as poorly performing candidates are eliminated, voters' preferences, voters' ballots are sort of reallocated as per the preferences that they indicated when they voted. Yeah, that makes for a a good system in the sense that it's not all or nothing for voters. They get to display some degree of support for up to three candidates, uh, but it does come with challenges. It makes the counting process a lot more complicated. Now, as, as for any government, pandemic government, interesting challenges for Marape going into this election? Yeah, yeah, uh, certainly challenges with the economy, um, challenges with the COVID response too. Although one important thing to note is that unlike in countries um, such as perhaps New Zealand or Australia, national issues tend not to dominate uh, campaigning in elections in Papua New Guinea. In Papua New Guinea, uh, campaigning tends to be very localised and candidates vie for support on the basis of whether voters think they are likely to help, whether they, the candidates, are likely to help the voters directly with material assistance should those candidates be elected. So national issues tend to play a, a minor role at best during campaigning in elections in Papua New Guinea. Now, a new thing this this year also is the new electorates that have been declared. That's divided public opinion. What what are your what is your take on that? Yeah, so I mean, th- there is a real problem in Papua New Guinea with malapportionment. Uh, so some electorates in Papua New Guinea are home to many more people than others, and that's kind of unfair because the people in the very populous electorates get less representation in Parliament than they ought to on the basis of electorate's population. 
And so there's always been talk of redistricting in Papua New Guinea. So that is resizing different electorates to try and deal with the problem of malapportionment. However, um, this exercise in redistricting has been a bit unfortunate in so much as that it hasn't done much to tackle uh, the problem of malapportionment in Papua New Guinea. And at the same time, it's brought about the creation of seven new electorates um, very close to when the elections are actually going to be held. So that brings an increased challenge for the Electoral Commission, uh, which has to prepare uh, the electoral process for seven new electorates at the last minute. A new Pacific Health National Director role has been created in New Zealand as part of a complete overhaul of the country's health system. The role is part of a health care reform bill by the New Zealand government which aims to amalgamate the country's 20 district health boards into one centralised body called Health New Zealand. Now the search is on for candidates for the newly created position, as Alicia Foon reports. The chosen candidate will lead a new arm for Pacific Health Care catering for the needs of Pacific people living in Aotearoa. Responsibilities include highlighting health equity gaps, representing Pacific people through a national Pacific provider arm, as well as supporting Pacific providers who already do work in communities. Fepulia Imaji Appa is the Chief Executive of Health New Zealand and explains why the position is a priority. Average life expectancy for Pacific people being six years less in some areas like counties, um, from a, um, a design principle perspective, that led us to seeing Pacific um, as a, um, a population, a community, but also a part of the sector that needed a special attention. And this was also a way of really seeing if we can accelerate um, what we do in Pacific Health um, by not having them bedded down into a third or fourth tier structure, struggling to get ideas and, and proposals up to, to second tier and to the board. Pacific community members have had relentlessly high hospitalisation rates throughout the Delta and Omicron outbreaks, with more than 100,000 Pacifica cases in these two outbreaks alone. Upper says the new entity aims to cut through bureaucratic layers and provide faster frontline services. The Minister for Pacific Peoples, Alpito William Seal, says it's a groundbreaking opportunity. There's been a, a few people that have approached me and asked for my view on the role, I've simply just been encouraging anyone that asks because this is a once in a generation uh, reform and I really want to see somebody who knows our community. I want strong Pacific leadership. I want somebody who understands languages, somebody who has a strong cultural intelligence because this is important to us. And so I'm confident that we can find somebody with the pool of Pacific leaders in the health sector that we currently have. The chief executive of the Pacifica Medical Association, Debbie Sorensen, hopes another Pacific female gets the role. I'm aware that there are a number of senior Pacific women in roles and, you know, it would be fantastic to have two Pacific women in these leadership roles. That would be ideal. It feels like our time has come in health. We have Health New Zealand uh, led by one of our own very talented women and we are able to actually bring all of those um, resources and superpowers together to really make a difference. Auckland councillor Ifiso Collins says whoever gets the role has to address issues and inequities that exist within the system and improve health outcomes for Pacifica families.
Many of our poorer Basvika communities, there's high prevalence of diabetes, gout, cardiovascular disease, rheumatic fever, diseases that are often considered third world and it's important that whoever takes the role has the necessary expertise and connection into the community to ensure that there's a good level of trust and that they're able to communicate the necessary wraparound uh, support that Pacific communities are going to need. Applications for the Pacific Health National Director role close at the end of this month. Despite unseating three rival MPs through election petitions, with two more rulings still to come, Tonga's Pato Party may still have its work cut out for it in contesting ensuing by-elections. Pato filed an unprecedented seven election petitions after last year's election. Three have been successful, unseating two serving cabinet ministers and a former prime minister. Two have been dismissed and two are still pending. One of them is against Tonga's deputy prime minister. But RNZ Pacific's Tonga correspondent Kalafi Mwala says it's one thing to bring a successful election petition, it's an entirely different matter to then take over the vacated seat. He joins me now. Malalele Kalafi, this is an unprecedented situation in Tongan politics, isn't it? Both in the number of election petitions filed and those that have been successful. Yes, definitely. There was one case uh, that was in uh 2015, one guy that was that lost his seat because of, of bribery. But uh, since then, this is the first time. It's not just one case, but seven have been uh, taken to court for bribery. And so far, five uh, uh, rulings have been made, and there's two more to come. And uh, I'll, I'll come to some of the specifics in a bit. But in 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 Solomon's, we noticed with the advent of um, uh, mobile phones with cameras and and with recording equipment on them, the the successful election petition numbers sort of increased. Are, are you seeing a similar thing in Tonga? Uh, not really. There hasn't been the the submission of of things that were captured by by phone or by camera. Uh, this was just basically based on personal testimonies or personal witnesses of people that have stepped forward and said that they were paid or given gifts and asked to vote for the particular uh, candidate. And, and so, so far, uh, all the, that has uh, gone on in court has been individual witnesses that have stepped forward to, to say that they were bribed. Is that a, is that a testament to... to... Uh, awareness or what, what? what's the change as compared to previous elections? Why are so many people coming forward uh, uh, this time well, around? Well, the, the reason for this actually is the, uh, the, the losing group. You know, I mean, in the last election, there was a, a good number of candidates who lost their, their seat uh, and they all belonged to one party. So they were the ones that they questioned the, the procedures that have been going on. And firstly, they had asked for a recount, and when the recount was made, it didn't make a difference in the result. Then they then decided to, to take these people to court. And, and so it, it came from seven constituencies on the main island of Tongatapu. And, uh, and when, when that was first announced, I think many of us, many people, were thought, "Wow, this is this is unprecedented. This hasn't happened before for so many people." And uh, we had to, to wait until the the results came in. 
And of course, the first result that was announced was the fact that the person who was charged or who was participating, he was found not guilty of the bribery. And then when the second case uh, was uh, guilty, then we thought, wow, this is going to get interesting. And then, of course, now there has been uh, five rulings. Two have been found not guilty and uh, three have been found uh, guilty of bribery. Two of them are actually current ministers in the cabinet. And the third one was the former prime minister uh, of Tonga, uh, Dr. Pohi Ratui on the tour. And, and we have two more rulings to go. So it's a very interesting uh, situation that we are in uh, politically. Naka, thank you. Um, thank you, Kalafina. The, I thought I just want to understand a bit about the the local mecha- the mechanics of some of this local politics. So, uh, sort of I understood like Atoa is the main party that we talked about that moved these petitions, right? That's correct. Yes, so that's a party that was uh, uh, founded by the late Akiliti Pohima. Right, and then so the just looking at the people that they've moved against, we have. Um, the the cabinet ministers, but then we have the former prime minister. Is, is the, the former prime minister aligned with the, the current government? Well, um, not really. The, the former prime minister, of course, had his own uh, party. It was called the People's Party. And if, if we can remember the, for, the former prime minister, his deputy in his party is the, the man Labu Labu, uh, who is now serving a jail sentence uh, for fraud. Uh, and, and his wife uh, was also a minister, uh, a cabinet minister at, uh, at the former prime minister's government. She is also in jail for fraud. So that's, that it's interesting. It's the, the mighty has fallen in terms of the former prime minister, not only as he did not uh, repeat and become the prime minister again at the election, in parliament, but now with this bribery case, he to lose his seat again, and it's basically the destruction of the party he started. Now, I I do not think there is an alliance between the current government and the former prime minister. Uh, however, it's important to note that the current prime minister, as well as two other ministers, were in his cabinet before uh, of the former government. And so, but, ah, but when the election, yeah, they, but when the election actually took place, they did not align themselves with the former prime minister during the election, although they were part of his cabinet. A final question for yeah. me is just uh, by elections, any talk of that, or is it still early days yet? I think there's early days there. The election supervisor has been questioning the last couple of, of days. Uh, over before the weekend, actually, and he did say yes, they are preparing uh, for by elections. I think they they probably just waiting until all the court matters are straightened out in terms of who's going to be appealing and so on before they uh, will go ahead and do a by election. Now, we are um, first in this country to have that many by elections. If if, uh, if we're going to end up uh, uh, with those continuing to be guilty. Yes, yes, interesting. Also, the, now, um, in uh, I keep referring back to the Solomons, but uh, uh, when when there've been MPs that have been unseated in the Solomons and MPs that have won by by large margins, what the what the Solomon MPs have done in the past when they've been disqualified from running in by-elections is to put up proxy candidates, uh, and and often it's their wife or spouse 
to to retain yes. that body and that that retain that support base uh, how how was yes. that that kind of thing shaping up in Tonga well i tell you Koroi, uh, they must have in Tonga here they must have learned it from the solomon islanders <laughs> because <laughs> Uh, there, this was the situation with the couple that, that are serving jail right now for fraud. He, when he lost his seat from Lalao, uh, and uh, and there was a by-election, he put in his wife to be a candidate, and she won the by-election. And, and so that, that's a, a case that so happened. And even now, it's uh, the talk of a by-elections taking place. A lot of people are discussing that. They're still saying, well, that's okay. So-and-so who lost, you know, can just uh, uh, put in his wife as a candidate or put in his close friend or close mate as a candidate. Yeah, the, the thinking is there. Yeah, and, and that's possible to happen. In other words, if the petitioner thinks that he's going or she's going to win just because he won the case uh, in the by-election this it does not necessarily mean the case. That brings us to the end of Pacific Waves for today. Remember, you can download us free to your device from Spotify, iHeart, or Apple Podcasts. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can also find us. More than Monday.